and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Everyone, welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am really excited about today's guest because I silently, lovingly stalked him <laughs> to be a guest on our show. One of the things that I've been doing over the past few months is really just asking for the Lord to put people in my path that align with what we're teaching and here. You know what I mean? You just you have a vision for what you want and the how kind of shows up. And so our next guest is kind of the how showing up for me. I actually was referred to his book through our friend or through my friend Carla Burns and and listened to it uh, while I was working out. It's about a 10-hour audiobook and I listened to it in less than a week. And my mind was blown. So I'm really eager for you to learn from him, hear his story, and uh, hear what he has to say. But he spent eight years of his life as a law enforcement officer serving as a DARE officer in uh, a sergeant and was on a SWAT team and was actually awarded Officer of the Year in 2012. However, after a medical retirement, which he'll tell us a little bit about, he is now an ordained minister and pastor of over 20 years. And he actually grew up in the Detroit area, just like me. We connected there. He went to Bible college. He has a heart for people and just loves to help people get better. And so it was his book, Quantum Christian, that said, oh my gosh, he's taking me like a whole nother level in my faith journey. And I'm so excited about what he has experienced and that he's getting it out into the world because so many of us will, will benefit from it. So without further ado, I would love to introduce author of Quantum Christian and more, tattoo preacher Aaron Davis. Thank you, Denise, and thank you, Carl Burns, for referring Denise to my uh, to my book, Quantum Christianity. I appreciate that. Yeah, I know it feels like we need like a like an audience. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah. Um, so yes, Quantum Christianity, and that was the book that I listened to. And so what I did is I took a screenshot of the me listening to it and said, "Oh my gosh!" I Instagrammed and tagged him on Instagram. I messaged him a few times and put him in a story. And you know what I mean? When you find people that you align with, you're like, "I need to be your friend." And so that is how I felt, Aaron. Um, so for those of you that, or for those of, who are listening who don't know much about you, would you mind just starting with sharing a bit of your story, and then we'll dive in. To your book. Okay, well, uh, my story is I moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 1996. I was working with troubled teens at the time. I became a, I was a youth pastor. Actually, when I moved down here, I came to, came to start a church in the Nashville area. And uh, those of you who have done any ministry know that oftentimes the church doesn't pay a whole lot. <laughs> and so I had to get a side job and that ended up working with troubled teens. Uh, and kind of like a halfway house type of a program where they were coming out of the system and had to go uh, into our program before they could go back into public schools. And so I did that for a number of years. And during that period of time, I actually was recruited by the local law enforcement officers because they were starting a school resource officer program. And I, I dealt so well with these uh, teens who had been through so many different types of uh, issues in their personal lives that they wanted me to be one of their school resource officers. And I quickly moved up the ranks. Within three years, I was officer of the year. I was on the SWAT team, promoted to detective sergeant. And uh, and it was uh, 
six years, uh, seven years in, I uh, had a couple of guys try to kill me. So I'm medically retired. Uh, I retired in January of 2008 after about a year of physical rehabilitation. Whenever uh, I was attacked, I ended up being thrown from my vehicle at about 45 miles an hour, busted both of my inner ears and had to go through uh, vestibular rehabilitation as well as having to deal with all of the uh, emotional and psychological uh, things surrounding the injuries that I sustained. And so, uh, yeah, it was quite a quite a journey back to normalcy after that. But uh, uh, that uh, that is my story in a nutshell. Shortly after uh, that event, I started studying different things as it pertained to uh, theology and science, and uh, was always fascinated with science growing up, and uh, began to study quantum physics a bit. Studied a lot about the brain and uh, the functions of the brain and how psychology plays into a lot of things that we do in neurology and different stuff. And so, you know, really kind of being more of a, uh, of a, uh, it was more of a hobby really than anything. I just, I, I, I like to learn. And so I started studying these things and found a fascination with it. And, and somewhere in the process, I started writing down my thoughts and those became a book and that book became quantum Christianity. Wow. Okay. So you were, uh, you were almost killed. And if you listen or read the book, you'll hear that story in detail. Uh And it was the years of recovering because you not only had to heal physically and mentally, but you couldn't go back to what you were doing before. So it was a true, like reinventing yourself and transition. And what do I do next? And okay, what's next for me? And I know this is in this space is where you did a lot of your learning. What were some of the like big breakthroughs that you experienced on your throughout the years of recovery? That's a that's actually a pretty involved and difficult question to answer, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, anybody who's been through traumatic experiences knows that uh, there's there are, are plateaus, I guess, that you reach in your progression. And myself, I went from being an arrogant <laughs> cop. You know, I really was. A, a, I, I fit a stereotype that I don't think is a fair stereotype of all police officers, but. I definitely fit within the stereotype that a lot of people, I think, perceive. And that is you give somebody a, a, a little bit of uh, power. And if they grew up with any self-esteem issues or anything like that, then it, 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 it kind of amplifies those uh, insecurities. And of course, I, I developed my insecurities young. I uh, had some events take place as a child that, that influenced that. And then as I grew older, um, I grew and I got bigger. And so, you know, I'm not a small guy now, but uh, I think in a lot of in a lot of ways I still had a lot of insecurities that were connected to some of those childhood events. And when I became a police officer, there were a, there were a lot of of things that I had to work through in myself, and uh, one of them was pride and arrogance, definitely. Uh typically before I was attacked, just about anything that I put my hand to, I succeeded at. So, uh, when you have a lot of wins and very few losses or even traumatic events to compare to uh, other people's experiences, a lot of times I think you find yourself uh, in a mentality, you know, when somebody experiences something, basically, you know, for instance, I, I, I judged people a lot who ever had anxiety issues, you know, somebody were to be in depression or, or have panic attacks. To me, I thought that was weakness. 
you know, I just thought that they were weak people. And, you know, because I myself had never experienced that. And I thought that I was probably definitely more than what I was. <laughs> um, I would tell people things like get over it or, you know, suck it up or whatever. And then having experienced that kind of trauma myself and going through anxiety attacks and, and uh, levels of post-traumatic stress and different things, it, it uh, awakened me to a whole different side of life and pain and uh, really kind of, I really think it set a balance to my scales. Uh, as difficult as it was, if I didn't have that perception, uh, I don't think that I would, I don't think that I'd be the same person that I am today. I really don't think that I would have been able to write the book that I did uh, or the books that I did after that season because of uh, there's just a learning that there's something that happens in pain, in mm -hmm. deep pain. There's something that that happens where you have an identity and a uh, compassion and an empathy for people who are, have or are going through things that before you just thought were foolishness. You know, I I remember when I first started experiencing panic attacks. The way that I would ex express it to people is: imagine being attacked by a tiger and the fear that you would feel in that moment. And then imagine that you know that there's nothing there to be that afraid of, and yet you can't shake the fear. So you literally go through a, a cycle. It's a catch-22 of, of being afraid of being afraid because mm -hmm. you know it doesn't make any sense. And wondering if you're losing your mind because you're experiencing these, these things that seem so... Uh, such a, I mean, just irrational. That's the word I'm looking for. It's just irrational. It doesn't make sense. And yet there it is, you're experiencing it. So having gone through that stuff, it, uh, it, it leveled some thought processes for me. And I can remember to get to your question, and I apologize, that was a long introduction to answer your question. But you, you asked, how did I, or when did I reach a place where, you know, there were some things that were starting to, to click with me about my experiences. And I can remember that step by step through the, the circumstances, I found myself valuing life, I can remember very early on, um, you know, I thought I was invincible. Uh, I, you know, I been in a lot of fights and hadn't experienced anything like I had after getting attacked. <laughs> um, you know, always having that size advantage on situations kept me, uh, kept me in a, a pride that I think was, I just didn't know what I didn't know at that point. And I can remember shortly after being attacked and sitting on my couch and realizing how many days that I had wasted or not valued with people or experiences or family or whatever. And I remember just sitting there and in tears, just tears rolling down my face because everything was broken at that time. My body was broken. My, my emotions were broken. And uh, I really just felt very humbled. And I remember thinking, God, I don't ever want to waste another day. And I think that was the first realization that I experienced uh, about uh, reality versus my perceived reality before that point, and that uh, that there were so many things that I had taken for granted, and then of course moving down years into the recovery process. This was a long process. I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through what I did, but it was years of recovery and getting back to a place of normalcy for me. Uh, and I remember about three years in telling God, "I, God, I don't you think I've been through this a long." enough time you know don't don't you think don't you think i've been here long enough you know haven't i learned what i need to learn and i'm not one of those guys that that says god talks to me all the time i mean we we have conversations but it's not like a there there are 
inner, that inner voice that God speaks to you through. And then there are very, very clear, like undeniable moments. And typically those undeniable moments with me contradict my personal uh, train of thought. And I, I asked that question. I remember I was walking to my bedroom three o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep that night. And I was just frustrated with life. And I said, God, don't you think I've been here long enough? And just as clear as day, I heard God say, Aaron, you had a lot to unlearn. And it, it so offended me that I started laughing. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like I was, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like in this moment here, I'm broken, you know, like I'm coming to you and, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling so bad in this moment. And that's your answer. It's not, yes, son, thy father heareth or what, you know, whatever <laughs> you would expect from the God you're talking to you in King James. But <laughs> I, uh, in that moment when he said you had a lot to unlearn, I just started laughing and I was like, all right, well, if that's what this is all about, then let's get with the unlearning. Let's finish this. And, and really, honestly, that was kind of the turning point, I think, in my life yeah. uh, where I realized that all of this stuff that I was going through, God was using it. He was working it together for my good and he was helping me to become a better person. Uh, and I think ultimately a better leader now, uh, a decade past it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine healing on all sides is a long process. And there's times where you're asking why, and there's times where you don't understand, and we all want it to be over quick. But yet, if we woke up and we were just better, we wouldn't learn the things that we need to learn. And, uh, and you really did have to get like thrown on your face <laughs> to yeah. learn some of this stuff. Yeah, um, but me, now you're was... passionate about it. I mean, now that's the thing. It's not just a book, uh, a th something you learned in a book or you, you've experienced it over and over again. Yeah. So you have this turning point where you say, okay, I'm ready to learn. Like, tell me what you want me to know. What are some things when you started diving into the neuroscience and quantum physics stuff that were just like huge breakthroughs for you? Well, that's... that. Uh, was a really interesting journey in and of itself. And I, I share a few of these stories in the book, but I can remember uh, the Newtown tragedy for me was a big turning point. And I was already studying a little bit about uh, quantum physics and, you know, had a, had a very, uh, I don't know that how to how to word it. I'm not even sure that it was a real experience, but it, it was something that actually got me thinking a lot about uh, about the possibility of things being more than what we maybe preconceived ideas uh, have have come to a conclusion on. And uh, but I remember when the Newtown tragedy happened, and all of those little kids were killed, uh, kindergartners, you know, five year olds. And at the time, my son Rocky was very young. And I remember being frustrated with that event because in my mind, I always had the perspective that anything that happened in this life went through God's green light. Like, you know, um, people would tell me, well, you know, God's, God's in control. He's, you know, nothing happens in this world without his, his okay, you know, so it's all part of God's will. And, you know, I, I bought into that, I think, to an extent. And um, because I didn't know how else to rationalize it. But in that moment when that happened, uh, I looked online and a friend of mine posted a, 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 a Facebook update that said it looks like, and he's an atheist. So, you know, he and I had gone back and forth on a lot of different issues. But as an atheist, he said, it looks like it's time to bring God up on some murder charges. And when he said that, first, I was very offended. 
And then I was like, you know what, honestly, uh, having been a law enforcement officer, if everything that happens in the world goes through God's green light, then he's at least culpable. You know, he's at least he's at least an accessory. I mean, if you rob a bank and I drive you away, uh, then I'm going to be charged with robbing the bank as well. And if you kill somebody in the process of it, if I'm a part of that, uh, if I'm a part of that, that event in any capacity, then I have I'm, I'm a contributor to it. And so I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, he's right. If if everything goes through God's green light, then he does have responsibility in this. And I was really frustrated with it. And during that season, I think God started to unpackage some things for me that religion had had given me one perspective, but it didn't line up with the love of God from Jesus's perspective or what he taught. You know, we, we see an Old Testament picture of God and we see a New Testament picture of God. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus came to reveal the father. And yet my uh, personal lens that I viewed God through was not the one that Jesus described. Uh, I looked I looked at all of the stuff from the Old Testament. I looked at plagues and I looked at things, uh, you know, pr- prophetic stuff, you know, uh, uh, Elijah calling bears out of the, 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 the woods and eating kids for calling him bald, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I'm going, what how does this line up with the God of love? It doesn't seem to make sense. And and I was in this process during that period of time of studying quantum physics and studying science and different things. And I was looking at God from an out of the box perspective anyway. And, and, and I believe that that by asking the hard questions, he met me where I was at and actually started to show me who he was outside of the box that we've placed him in as from whatever lens that we've that we've resolved him to be in, you know, mo- most of the people, if they think of God uh, in a favorable light, they haven't experienced anything bad enough. And those that have experienced something bad enough look at God and they go, well, if you if you were a part of this, then I really don't know that I want to serve a God that's like that. And honestly, that was the experience of most of my atheist friends. You know, and uh, I, I had to I had to struggle with that. I had to I had to work through that. And actually, quantum Christianity was born in that season of, of really being me being uh, uh, vulnerable enough to allow God to, to see and hear the questions that I was afraid to present before that moment. Because I mean, after all, he's the God of the universe, right? So who am I actually to question God? But, but I found myself asking hard questions that I didn't want to face before. And he actually met me and, and, and right where I was, wasn't offended by my questions and, and helped me to see a side. I think that most people don't see without actually having to face some pretty difficult realities by the resolve of the, the, the answers to the questions that, that I was asking. What, what were the hard questions you were asking? Okay. Well, how can you be good? Mm-hmm. Like how, how are you good? If, if this guy can go into uh, a kindergarten class and shoot up the, the kids and the teachers and you are, the God of the universe, you're all powerful, you're omnipotent, you're all knowing, you're omniscient. So if you are these things, then how can you be good if you could stop that and you don't? And what I came to discover and I and 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 now firmly believe it took a little convincing of myself. I I went it, it took me four and a half years to work to write quantum Christianity. Typically I oh, can wow. write a book in about six months. 
Um, but it took me four and a half years from start to finish. I did a lot of research in the beginning, uh, researched a lot of science, researched a lot of things. And then um, going back and forth with God with some of these hard questions. And what I, what I determined and what I came to without letting the, I mean, we're talking about a, a book that's 300 and some pages long, so you're not going to get the full picture. And I don't want your listeners to think that this is all it was about. But they're one of the resolves that I came to was that God is not as involved in some of the things that happen to us as we think he is. Um, you know, the, the, the Bible says that Jesus came to restore that which was lost. A lot of people misquote that and they say those who were lost. And that's not what the scripture says, even when you break it down uh, to an original version. It's not talking about man being restored from a fallen state of sin to a relationship, just a relationship with God. But if he was restoring that which was lost, he was restoring the original intent of God for man. One was to have relationship with him uh, directly and personally, but the other was actually to have dominion in the earth. And when Jesus came and restored that which was lost, when he said it was finished, it is finished on the cross and the veil was torn and relationship between God and man was restored. So was that authority in the earth. And so, you know, because of the introduction of sin, we have the wages of sin, which produces death. We have people, we have free will, we have choices. And all of those things are non-existent if man can't make a choice or if God trumps his every decision. It's free will is an illusion if, uh, if we don't actually have the choice to do the wrong thing. If we don't have the choice for the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then we don't really have a choice. If God just simply said, don't touch this, and then when Eve went to touch it, he smacked her hand and said, I said no type of thing, then it's not really free will. But free will comes with its own consequences. And sometimes my exor your exercising of free will uh, or your liberty will infringe upon my liberty. And when it does, then it's up to me to correct that or course correct in some capacity. And I think that's more of what we see. Most people, I think, blame God. They look at God for, for what's taking place uh, in their circumstances. And they say, well, you know, like I was saying, if you, if you could stop this and you didn't, then uh, then you're you're a part of the problem. And I don't think that that's the case as often as we that as as we come to that conclusion. I'm not saying it's never the case. I'm not going to take the power away from God and place him in a box outside of power. But I will say that if he gave us uh, dominion and he gave us free will and we choose not to use it in the capacity that he created us to and authority to by restoring the authority that if we don't learn how to utilize that, I mean, I can give you a car, but if you don't learn how to drive it and it sits in your driveway and it rusts, that's not my fault mm -hmm. that your car rusted. And it's mm -hmm. also not my job to I, technically it would be uh, it would be illegal for me to come and take the keys and drive that car if I gave it to you. And so I really kind of feel like in this life, that's what God's done. He's given us free will. He's given us authority. He's given us the ability to confront those things. He's given us the ability to hear his voice. And to be able to, to navigate circumstances that uh, many times uh, might be our destruction. If he is omniscient, which I believe he is and all knowing, if he is that, then I think many times he's telling us, uh, don't go that way. Don't go right now. And when we experience that painful event, 
we think, well, why didn't you warn me? And I think the, the whole time he was saying, why weren't you listening? I mm-hmm. think that if God is faithful and I believe that he is, I think many times what we're experiencing has more to do with what we don't do or don't know to do or don't understand. And ignorance, um, ignorance isn't an excuse. I think we can, I think many things we can learn, many things we can understand if we're willing to actually step outside of the box of, uh, our preconceived ideas or what we've been taught or maybe what generations have said God is or whatever. But I think many times what we're, what we are experiencing, and I'm not saying that the, the person, I mean, I, I, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I'm not saying that the kid who was molested is, has a, a, uh, a, a responsibility to have avoided that situation. Now, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying in this is that many times I think that most things could be avoided if the people that God was calling in that moment to be his hands and his feet and to hear his voice actually uh, enforced the will of God in a situation instead of man enforcing his own will. Um, and I'm sorry, I know I'm dominating this this conversation. Interrupt any time if you have a question or you're hearing <laughs> well, something. There's a lot of nuggets, that's for sure. And one question I do want to ask is you talk about listening, which I think is is huge and that inner knowing or that inner, you know, when God speaks to us in that soft whisper, but sometimes we don't we don't pay attention or we ignore it. And I remember even in your book, you said there were several times when you felt the nudge to not go down that road with these kids or to not, um, to, to, to go back to the station or, you know, you felt that nudge and you didn't listen. So for those that are like, okay, you asked these hard questions and you felt like you got answers. I ask questions all the time, but I don't know that I get answers. How do you hear him either audibly or in that like little, like, what is that? little small voice mean? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, how do you, what I, what I hear you asking is how do I hear the voice of God to the point where it influences my life? And, uh, it's a learned thing. I think, I think we all know that inner voice in some capacity, you know, you might call it intuition. Um, I, I realize a lot of times I think it, what it is, is God giving us a nudge in the right direction. And I think the first step to learning to hear his voice is learning, is reading his word, particularly the New Testament, because the New Testament has a different level of revelation about God than the Old Testament did. Uh, and that I go into that in the, the book, Quantum Christianity. It's not that the, it's not that the Old Testament is irrelevant. It's just that man's lenses, I think, were more jaded in the Old Testament. They didn't understand. They didn't know what they didn't know. And the Bible says that Jesus came to reveal the Father. So obviously, if he came to reveal the Father, there were things that they didn't understand, uh, before he came. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, we say, well, you know, the, the, many people will justify that, that God wrote the Old Testament through men. Okay. They'll say, you know, it's, it was written by God. I, I use different words, I think, to describe what happened in that. I think that anything, anytime something becomes language, it becomes flawed uh, in some capacity. You know, I can try to explain to my wife what my love for her feels like or my son, what my love for him feels like. But there, I think my son may be a better example because he has not yet been a father. Mm -hmm. But once you become a parent, there's something in there. There's a depth you don't know until you know. 
And I love that kid beyond anything that he could possibly comprehend. And he'll go his entire life until he has his own kids. And then one day he'll have his own and he'll go, oh my gosh, this is what my dad felt. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, I couldn't put it into language. I couldn't speak it clearly enough for him to understand. He would only understand in part. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of what happened in the Old Testament is that people understood in part. They only understood God through the lenses of their experiences or to the point where they were able to comprehend what they went through. But they didn't understand God uh, fully. They looked at him more as a God of wrath. They looked at him as a God of rules. They looked at him as, as uh, uh, having to earn his appreciation in some capacity. And because of sin, they were separate. But Jesus said he came to reveal the father. And what that did is it, 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 is it, it made it clear that man up to that point didn't have a full picture he may have understood in part, but he didn't have a full picture. So when God spoke to his prophets or through his prophets, it still went through the lens of their interpretation. And once it hit, hit words, they might be trying to explain a feeling that they had or a clarity that they had. But once it hit words, words are imperfect. And so you can only describe it as clearly as love can be described. Mm -hmm. Well, in this situation... Uh, Jesus was saying, there are so many things about my dad that you don't get. And there are many things that you've derived because you've only seen a picture or a part or a portion of who he is. But let me set the record straight. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then when we look at the life of Jesus, we see something very different than uh, the Pharisees or the Sadducees saw of God. They looked at God through a different lens. Jesus came to reveal all of those areas where they had misinterpreted what God was saying. And so when you're learning to hear the voice of God, I think reading the New Testament is the first step because you learn to, to you, you learn what God's heart actually looks like whenever you read the New Testament. And then as you start to have those inclinations, as those, those things start to, to resonate in your spirit, you see you, that intuition kicks in or whatever, and you think you hear something, you can actually compare it to what the Bible says and go, okay, am I, is this a pizza thought? You know, did I eat too much pizza before bed and, and kind of having an abstract thought? Or uh, is this God trying to speak to me? And a lot of times when it's lining up with what his word already says, you start to learn, okay, in this situation, uh, this is God speaking, like, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a bit of trial and error. It's, it, it's not an easy thing. And even now as a pastor of 25 years, I, I don't always know that I'm absolutely hearing God clearly. So there are times when I know there are times like you, you mentioned when those guys were, were, were planning to kill me. I knew the voice of God in that moment. He said, Aaron, go back to the sheriff's department, turn around and go back. He said it three times. And in my arrogance, I actually told God, I've got this. I didn't know what I didn't know. These guys were in handcuffs, but I cuffed them in the front. I didn't know they had a weapon. I thought that everything was clear, but they had picked something up while we were out. And uh, th they attacked me with it. I didn't know that. But had I gone back to the sheriff's department, it would have made the next decade of my life very different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe God was trying to keep me from those moments. But mm -hmm. because I didn't listen, and many times I think people don't know how to listen, we find that in those moments, God is using the, our circumstances and, and working them together for good. You know, the, the Bible says that what the enemy intended for evil, God works together for our good. I think in those moments, God said, all right, well, this is the hand you've been dealt now because these guys chose one thing, you chose another. 
And uh, the wages of sin has produced this in your life. And it wasn't my sin other than me not listening to God at that moment. It was them having a hard heart and wanting to kill me. But I, their, their choices and their liberties infringed on my liberties. And in that moment, there's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was difficult. It was, a, it was a hard situation. But I listened that day. And now when I hear it that strongly, I'm a lot more intentional to listen because I recognize that at that time, God was speaking and maybe I was just being too hard-headed or too arrogant. So it, it becomes a trial and error thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's recognize, intentionally communicate with God. And then you take that time to stop and listen and hear. You'll hear things. And sometimes you'll go, I don't know if that's God or not. But then he ends up confirming it somewhere else. And you go, oh, yeah, see, now that, that confirms that what I heard in that moment. And then once you learn what that sounds like, the more that you learn that, what that sounds like, the more you're able to function, understand, and I think walk uh, in a more clear understanding of that voice for cir- circumstances and situations. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it truly is just uh, trust in your gut and learning how to listen to your intuition, being quiet and not so busy, you know, or we're multitasking all the time, but truly sitting and journaling or writing and then allowing those things to bubble up. And when I was starting to really dive into some of the, the quantum physics and neuroscience stuff um, and, and, really kind of increase this area of my life, uh, increasing my intuition and my listening ear and things. One time I said, God, why did you make this so hard? Like, why is this hard? Why isn't this easy for people to connect with you? And immediately, like without, before I even finished the sentence, I heard, it's not hard. You just have to ask. And I was like, Oh, you know, that wasn't me necessarily because it was just me thinking. And all of a sudden this new thought came in and I thought, Okay, he's here. He's listening. And and we do. We just have to ask and sometimes we do make it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. But learn growing that listening ear, settling in, trusting your intuition and really kind of understand following those nudges, I think you start to hear him even more. Uh, and you've started the, down the road of of the quanta, the science you said, and mm-hmm. it's interesting as soon as I started doing this as well, I started seeing it everywhere. And so I'm seeing the fact that science is confirming what scripture has always said to me is getting louder and louder and louder. And you wrote this book years ago. So what are some of yeah. the confirmations or the, the, the science links that you've identified? Well, what I, what I found interestingly uh, when I started studying science was how much many people, and even when I would start making posts on social networks, I would say, I love science, hashtag, I love science. And people would say, how can you love science if you're a Christian? Because they contradict each other. Science and theology contradict each other. And I was like, oh no, you don't understand. If you actually get down, if God created science, then there is a, there is a, if God created uh, the universe and matter, at a quantum level, at a, you know, at atomic level, uh, if he created those things to function within the laws of science, then then they don't contradict each other. We just have to see where they connect, and that was what was really interesting. As I started to study this authority thing, you know, the the some people would would phrase it the authority of the believer. I think that that comes off a little bit too religious for me, but uh, but. Being what it is, as human beings, as men uh, created in the image of God, uh, I think that it's that that if there was a an authority that God had given us, then to to actually impact 
matter. You know, one of the things that stood out to me as I was studying was, you know, Jesus told his disciples, they, they were fascinated because he cursed a fig tree and it was dead when they walked by it the next day. And he was like, listen, if you actually, if you think that that's cool, imagine this, if you speak to that mountain, you've got the faith of a mustard seed and you speak to that mountain and tell it to move and be cast into the sea. And you don't doubt, but you believe in your heart that what you said will happen, then it will. And, uh, and, and they were kind of dumbfounded. They were like, you're kidding, right? Like, how, how, how can that be? And I actually believe that what Jesus was describing was, was the quantum world. Mm-hmm. I believe what he was saying was I, I, that, that there, are, there are rules and laws that have been set into motion that people don't, they just can't comprehend at this point in, in history. But, but Jesus made it pretty simple. He said, believe and don't doubt. Here's, here's, how we, here's how we start to do this. If you can believe it and you don't doubt it, then you can, then you can step into this realm. I believe, I call it, uh, in my book, I say faith is a force. I believe that it's as much of a force as gravity. Um, and I believe that we as human beings, as men, women created in the image of God, when we uh, begin to step into a realm that is beyond the physical and actually com- connects heaven to earth uh, into this uh, quantum level into this quantum space. Uh, I believe that we begin to actually have the influence to, uh, to impact physicality. Uh, if you look at, there's an experiment and I would encourage your, your listeners to, to reference it, look it up and do a little study on, on the double slit experiment in quantum physics. And what they found, it's, double it's also split the, du- the double slit, slit. experiment. Okay. Uh-huh. I haven't heard of this one. Uh-huh. It's called the double slit experiment. And it's also called wave particle duality. And basically what wave particle duality uh, in quantum physics, and it, it, it blew science and continues to blow their mind because they still don't understand it. But in a nutshell, basically what, uh, scientists did is they fired photons uh, at uh, they put a film behind it. If you can imagine a, a camera, I'm trying to I'm trying to put this in such terms without visual aid to help your your listeners understand. But if you imagine a squirt gun or a light gun or a flashlight pointed at a, a piece of cardboard with two slits in it and a piece of film behind it, much like a camera film or something like that, when they flipped the light on and they fired the, the, the light at the part at the, the, the two slits, it registered on the back of the, the film that it went through both slits like a wave. So it came out from the source and it spread out like a wave. Uh, and it went through both slits. That was when they were just measuring the light hitting the back of the, uh, the, the film. However, when they changed their focus to the slits and they focused on the two slits, the light condensed into a particle and only went into one slit every time it chose a slit. So that's that's layman's terms on 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 uh, explaining wave particle to duality. But what basically took place was with human interaction and human focus, the focus of man the particle of light shifted from wave to particle. And the only difference was the focus where they focused their attention. So when I, when I consider that kind of stuff, when with man being created in the image of God and different things like that, I realize on this, on this small scale that we, we have, we influence 
what we understand to be the physical realm just by our focus mm -hmm. in that one scientific experiment. And that, that particular understanding really kind of sparks something in me to start looking deeper into how much do we actually influence our environments? How much does our presence, whether we focus on the thing that God says to do versus the, the thing that maybe our, our, our sinful nature might want to do or so many, so many different, different, uh, avenues that you can go down as it pertains to focus. But maybe we influence our current reality, at least at the very least in this earth realm, because God gave us the authority here on, on earth. Maybe we influence our reality a lot more than what we realized. And we end up placing blame on God or the devil or any number of other things for our experiences when maybe we have a whole lot more, uh, responsibility than maybe we perceived before that. Mm. So those were the, as I, as I started going down that science realm and you can see, I mean, I'm, I'm running down a rabbit hole on this one. I mean, we're, we are, we are going into wonderland on that one example, but that actually is the, is where quantum Christianity dwells. We, we jump between the science and the yes. theology between what it means to be in covenant with God versus just having a religion and going back and forth between the science and the theology to actually come to a conclusion of who we are. And maybe if we've been convinced uh, away from God, because we put him in a box of what we perceived happened, maybe we can believe again when looking through lenses that are a little bit different. And that's, and that's why the name of the book is quantum Christianity. Believe again, because I think between the experiences that many of your listeners have probably had uh, in going to college and having a philosophy professor explain to them why God doesn't exist or how God can't exist based upon their phys uh, 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 I just lost my train of thought on the word uh, philosophical. There we go <laughs> on their philosophical interpretation of God. Um, <clears throat> maybe this will give you a little bit more ammunition to put the ball back in the God court and go, maybe I was looking at this through a little bit, looking at it a little bit improperly at the very least. Maybe there's more than what I thought that I understood before. Ooh, the double slit wave particle duality, you guys absolutely look it up. And I think the more that you learn about some of the quantum physics, the, the studies, I did one with my kids where we put two apples on the table and we put negative words around one and positive words around the other. And we spoke to, you know, said those words to the different apples and I took pictures and I was kind of like, we'll see how this goes. Um, and after a week, we cut them open. And the one that had negative words surrounding it got brown like immediately and the other one didn't. And once you start seeing some of these things come out into like, like in front of your eyes and then you read verses like with the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and you realize that what we think, what we say, what we do is that energy that can impact the world around us. For me, I started listening. I started reading the Bible with a different viewpoint, with, uh, with a much deeper level. And I feel like it impacted my faith in an amazing way. Yeah. You know, you, you, you referenced the, uh, the words. Uh, there's also a study that was done by a man named, uh, and I'm pulling up the book right now in my Kindle. It's a New York Times bestseller. And the name of the book is The Hidden Messages in Water. And it's by 
Masaru um, Emoto, M-A-S-A-R-U Emoto, E-M-O-T-O. And what he did was he studied ice crystals as ice would, uh, would crystallize. And he subjected it to a lot of different things, different environments, words, and different things, and actually uh, showed how the people spoke influenced the water and how it froze and what the crystals looked like and, and they, how, how they froze beautifully in certain environments and in other environments. And when words were spoken to them, how, they, how it looked jagged and, and edged and, and there, weren't, uh, there wasn't uniformity and different things. Very, very interesting study that uh, I came across while I was studying the quantum Christianity stuff. And uh, just like what you were talking about, there's been a lot of studies that have been done with plants and different things, same type of thing. Uh, about how human interaction actually influences environments. And so, yeah, definitely uh, uh, an interesting study as it pertains to the words that we speak and the, the attitudes that we have and the things that we even think about ourselves and how it influences the cells at a molecular level. Very, very fascinating. Yeah. And, and when you realize like God made us this way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and right. like this isn't this isn't woo-woo stuff. This isn't crazy. Like this is the way that God made us. I've never used... I've never thought of, about it in the word, the way of authority or dominion. Um, and that really is a really cool way to view it. Like it's our responsibility to, to do well with the, the earth that we have and to speak life into it and to impact the people in our sphere well, because we have the ability and the authority to impact. impact so the story matter. of the talents. What, yeah. if, what if the talents that God gave us actually had to do with what we did with the authority he gave us? Ooh, good. Isn't that, isn't that so interesting to hear these stories, not from a Sunday school eye, <laughs> but yeah. with the quantum physics view, because for some reason, it just consistently blows my mind. And I go, that's what it was really about. Yeah, that's that, that, that was, as I wrote quantum Christianity, I had another and another and another of those experiences. It was kind of like so many things that I had, had come to a conclusion on, uh, God started to show me an out-of-the-box perspective. And the, the question that I asked throughout the book, and it was really, I think, be, I asked it because I believe God was asking me the question is, is it possible? Mm. Is it possible that you thought this, but it could be like this? Is it possible that when God said this, this is what he was talking about? Kind of like I just did with you a second ago. Is it possible that that's what the story of the talents are? Mm -hmm. Is it is is that the thing that we can waste? Can do we take our authority and bury it and just expect God to do things for us when he actually gave us the talent and expected us to use it? And then when we stand before him on judgment day, is that the thing we're going to be going to be judged by? Like I gave you the authority. It cost my son uh, his life to restore it to you. And what did you do with it? You stood around and you waited for me to drive your car. I gave it to you. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. It really kind of, kind of flips the script a little bit and, and, and gets you thinking outside of that box. It really does. And, and, and for, so for you, you go through years of, of quote unquote, like suffering, like where you're in pain physically and mentally, but yet you're healing and, and you get to that rock bottom place where you say, okay, God, I'm ready to unlearn. I'm ready to relearn. But now you're an active pastor again. You're vibrant. You're thriving. How has this learning impacted the way that you pastor today? Well, I think that, I think that for the most part, uh, I think what it does is I just approach things with more of a compassion for people who don't know. 
Um, you know, when Jesus is on the cross and, and he looks at these men and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, I, I feel like a lot of times, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm more enlightened than the next guy, or I don't think I'm smarter or anything like that. That's not what this statement is make, is, is at, that I'm, I'm making is, is saying, but I feel like God has shown me something that a lot of people haven't caught on to. And if they did, I think it could influence their reality because it influenced mine. Mm-hmm. I found myself taking, it's interesting when you think, let's, 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 let's put politics into a, a consideration. When you think it's the government's job to do everything for you, and then you realize that actually you can make a difference in your circumstances, whether the government uh, gets involved to the capacity that you thought they should or not. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really, I think, how a lot of people view God. A lot of people are expecting God to be the genie in the lamp. You know, and they hope that they rub it the right way so that the genie pops out and grants them their three wishes. Mm -hmm. But that's not that's not the God that I've come to understand. The God that I've come to understand 2000 years ago sent his son to reveal his heart as a father to restore to humanity the the uh, authority that was lost in sin and the connection to God to be able to navigate life's problems with the introduction of sin. With, with efficacy because they have a relationship with the God who can help them do it the right way instead of trying to do it blindly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a totally different perspective. You know, it, it's, it's, instead of expecting God to do it for me, I'm asking God, how do I do it utilizing the authority that you purchased at a great price when you sent your son to restore that which was lost? And that's, that's the difference. I remember um, when I was um, working full time in my clinical psychology job and I knew I didn't want to be there anymore, but I knew I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and so I remember praying, okay, tell me, tell me what to do. And it felt like there was a right or a wrong answer. I was either doing God's will or not God's will. And I like waited for this, for this genie to give me an answer and then I could confidently move forward. And what I've come to know with learning all of this is that like what, when we listen, when we let that still small voice speak to us and just continue to take steps in that direction, like we already know, and he's already given it to us. And it's really a matter of, it's not this, this grand, like, like right or wrong thing. It's truly like, what do you want? What do you want now? And then you can start walking in that direction and, and, and the how figures itself out. And, but I think so many of us wait. And we wait for the sign and then we take action. Well, when I was in Bible college, I use this analogy a lot, you know, because when I was in Bible college, the girls that were there, many of them were there because they wanted to marry a pastor. Okay. (laughs) That just, that was a lot of them. And you would watch them and, and they would be like, what if he's the one? What if I miss it? You know, what if, what if I don't, you know, what if, what if I'm not paying attention and I miss the one? And I really, a lot of people think that there is the one out there. I think that, what do we got? Six billion, seven billion people in the earth now. I think that it's, which one do you choose? It's the one in three and a half billion out there. And whatever you choose, God's going to say, all right, I gave you the power to choose. And now we're going to work within the, the, uh, the realm of your choices. And if, if I had chosen to marry somebody different, my life would be different, but God would still be the same. And he's still going to work those things together for my good. I could have chosen the girl that wasn't 
the best for me. I could have dated the girl, uh, married the girl that that uh, I knew in my heart wasn't the right one, but it would have produced its own things in my life. And I wouldn't have married her because it was God's will. It must have been, just have been God's will. If you married her, he, he would have stopped it or, you know, something. No, that he gave you the choice. And then he said, all right, you made that choice. Now, how do we work within the framework of that choice. Is there a better choice? I think there is. I think that God is is ever speaking, but we've got to tune into that channel and ask him the question, is she right for me or not? And then be willing to actually humble ourselves to the point where if he says no, when we want him to say yes, that we say, okay. And that, I, I think that's where the balance lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting, it's, it's such an, it's human beings are so, uh, intricately diverse and and yet so human nature is so the same with with them you know we we all want many times what we can't have we all want what's not best for us um and but if we're willing to actually put that stuff down and say all right god i want what's best from your perspective now help me see what your vision is then we, he works within the realm of our choices and he says all right I, I've, I've literally had god say to me at different times you choose i was like well should i do this or do that uh, you choose it's like it's okay whatever whichever way you choose we're gonna work out it's gonna be fine just choose you know it's interesting it is it's it's like it lights a fire within me because I feel like it's, it is, it's, it's so interesting. It's so cool. And then you can read the Bible with whole new eyes and you're like, Oh my gosh, Jesus told us this this whole time. Um, so how, what are you doing now to continue to learn? Tell me your favorite books. Who do you follow? Like, what are you doing to continue to grow in this area? Oh man, I read a lot. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I used to be a worship leader. And so playing the piano or the bass and singing, and I, I loved music but I don't listen to music a whole lot anymore when I drive. Um, most of the time when I'm driving, I'm putting something in that's going to teach me something. I want to learn every single day. I want to learn something new. And I don't typically study the stuff that I think most past would be on most pastors' uh, most recommended list. Uh, I actually study things that I don't believe. Uh, I want to know what other people think. Um, I want to know what the guy who is an atheist says about science just as much as I want to know the what the guy who is a creationist in science. And so I, I listen to those kinds of things. I, I listen to college lectures. I read, uh, listen to a lot of audiobooks when I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, TED Talks, love TED Talks. Just to, I mean, you know, an 18 minute download or less of something that somebody who's a professional in some area, a perspective that they have, what, who cares if I agree with it or not? I understand more of their perspective. And so I read a lot of, of those kinds of things out of the box, fringe science, fringe theology. Um, man, I, I, and I, I don't know that I would recommend it to every Christian because I don't know that every Christian out there is ready to, 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 to deal with the uh, things that cause them to question their faith. But I've questioned mine enough over the years and came to a resolve that now I'm just interested in the knowledge for the sake of the knowledge. And I already have come to a pretty good solid resolve of what I think about God. So uh, I, I do like um, there's a there's an author named Bill Johnson. Uh, who is a pastor uh, out in uh, Redding, California. I like his stuff. He, he challenges my my way of thinking. And while I was writing Qu- Quantum Christianity, several people came and said, you need to read his book, uh, When Heaven Invades Earth. And I was like, uh, during that season, I didn't read any Christian books 
because I didn't want to be influenced in my thought because that really a lot of what I was receiving from God in quantum Christianity was a direct download. Like this was him challenging my thoughts. And then I would look something up on the internet or, or different things. And he would show me uh, what, what direction I needed to be going. And so I didn't read that book until after I wrote quantum Christianity. And then I went back and, and found the chapters that it was relevant for and inserted some of that stuff, uh, just as reference, uh, and to, to additionally, uh, uh, help build the, the substantiation of quantum Christianity. But I, I read a lot of Bill Johnson's stuff. I like to study things on the prophetic. I know that it, it, it can be to some people, a, a flaky branch of Christianity. Um, but what I've found is that, you know, the Bible talks about there being prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and, and all of those things. And, and I think that God's still speaking and there still is a, uh, a prophetic call on people's life where they hear the voice of God more clearly than others. Uh, I don't identify with that, with those people often because many times they're, I mean, like John the Baptist, I mean, he ran around in, in, in camel hair clothes and ate bugs. <laughs> and that's my experience with a lot of prophetic uh, people. But they're weird, but they're right in a lot of ways, you know. And so, uh, I, and having been one who has functioned in that capacity and in different seasons, I mean, God has given me very clear direction. I mean, I, I saved a girl's life one time because God told me that she was about to kill herself. And I called her mom 500 miles away. And they the, the doctors, she was actually in surgery. She had taken a handful of pills. I think I share that story in quantum mm -hmm. Christianity, mm -hmm. but she had taken a handful of pills going into surgery and had intended to die on the, the, the surgeon's table. And the, the, she grabbed the nurse and her mother grabbed the nurse and told them while she was under anesthesia to pump her stomach. And they did. And they said she would have died. And wow. that was because God told me in that moment that she was trying to kill herself just out of the blue. So I know God speaks with that kind of clarity. I don't hear it like that all the time. I know that he speaks to some people more clearly, more often. And so I actually study those people, you know, these people who are hearing from God. I don't know that everybody that says they're hearing from God is hearing from God, but there are some that I've found that really have, uh, they seem to have some sort of a connection that's, that's bigger than mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I want to understand what they understand. I want to know what they know, even if I never function fully to that capacity, because maybe it's more about their calling than mine. I still want to understand. So I'm in this season where I'm, I'm studying prophetic stuff and, and, you know, reading and listening to, there's a guy named Sean Bowles, uh, B-O-L-Z. I think he's in LA. He's got a church in LA and, uh, he's my age and he's an interesting cat. Um, uh, I hope one day I get to meet him because he's, uh, he's just different. He, he doesn't carry the the, I had a, I have a little bit of, I'm just being honest and I hope, you know, your, your prophetic listeners don't get offended. I have a little bit of an aversion with prophetic people because I've, I've been wounded by them a lot of times because they've, they've been weird or they've been flaky or different things like that. And as a pastor, you can sometimes though, it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard whenever somebody comes in and says, God, God said this and you know, God didn't say it, but they're demanding it because they're prophetic, you know, mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've dealt a lot with that kind of stuff. And it's hard for me sometimes to, to find a balance in dealing with those people, even though I have a lot of prophetic friends. Um, but this guy, this Sean Bulls guy, he seems to be pretty legit. He's different. Um, and so I really dig him. Uh, I've served some prophetic ministries over the years that, that were, were very, uh, legit, like they, the stuff that you saw, you knew wasn't fake. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no way it could be. Um, and, uh, so, you know, from those experiences, I'm, I'm reading a lot on the prophetic, I'm, I'm continuing to study quantum physics. 
Uh, I, I bought a book recently. I think it was called 30, 30 Second Lessons on Quantum Physics or something. And it just goes through, through uh, I don't know, 30 chapters or something like that of, of just different quantum, uh, you know, fringe science type of ideas that built, they built uh, quantum physics on. And, you know, so I, I, I grab a book. Whenever I can grab a book, I've got a little bit of free time. I, I crack it open and I read a chapter or uh, different things like that. I'm studying the Bible uh, in a different way uh, now, being more intentional with really studying word studies and different things. And so there's a lot, lot a lot of things that I'm reading. Um, and it could change from week to week. It just depends <laughs> on out or what somebody recommends or what I see or what 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 Audible uh, recommends for me to listen to next when I've gone through all my books and I don't know what else to listen to. <laughs> That's fun. You can tell you have a, a spirit to learn, you know, a hungry yeah. spirit to just continue to move forward. And what projects are you working on personally right now? Well, uh, I wrote a book titled Limitless. You can experience the freedom, power, and potential you were created for. I released it a couple of years ago, and it was a number one bestseller on Amazon. And uh, I have created a curriculum for it. I'm just about to release that curriculum, which has uh, videos. And basically, that, that book, Limitless, was, was, was written in a format to read a chapter a day. And it won't take more than five minutes to read a chapter uh, for five weeks. And it basically walks people through uh, freedom from the issues that, that have held them back. If, if you're a Christian, you know that uh, there's probably one or two things in your life that you you find yourself being set back by over and over again. I tell people all the time, um, I'm, the devil's not going to tempt me with a homosexual relationship, but he might do that with someone else. It's not that's not my weakness. But what he will do is I'll be in a situation where maybe uh, an, an opportunity for me to get angry will happen. And that's an area that I fall into really easily is, is you know, rage or anger based on just my upbringing and things. Well, all of us have those things, those strongholds that the Bible talks about in our life that, that, that become established and become difficult to get past. Well, I wrote Limitless to help reveal what a stronghold is in our lives, to help us to see it for what it is, and then to, to get to a place where we uh, understand our authority over that thing. And so uh, the videos, the, the workbook, all that kind of stuff is going to be coming out real soon. It's going to be available online on my website. And uh, I'm as soon as that's done, I'm going to start writing uh, Limitless Forgiveness, which is uh, I'm going to be sticking with this Limitless name. I think I've got several different titles, but uh, I know several people who have been through hell and have figured out some way to exercise forgiveness in those uh, those arenas. And having been one that wrote the book that I wrote, Limitless, Understanding Strongholds, probably one of the biggest strongholds that people have in their lives is unforgiveness. It's mm -hmm. the catalyst for for so many other things that they experience in their lives that they, they don't understand what it means to actually walk out forgiving someone. And, and, and I tell people all the time, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. And forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And so uh, choosing to forgive in an environment uh, where it maybe is not easy uh, is where I think real freedom is found. I think it's probably the number one area in, in the life of Christians where the enemy finds a way in and continues to keep people bound up is that they don't, they, they just have a difficult time releasing offense. Uh, and depending on the depth of the, the, the level of that offense, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a real bitterness that, that enters in. And so I'm going to, I'm going to address that subject head on. Uh, I, uh, 
I've, I've spoken a lot on that. I've done a lot of messages on that. And I think it's time to write the book. So I've got a few people that I'm going to let share their stories in that book. I'm going to share my story about getting past uh, forgiving people who tried to kill you and <laughs> having to forgive them again and again and again after going through hours and hours of physical rehabilitation after you've chosen to forgive them. Uh, so yeah, that's, that I think is going to be the next project. I'd like to have that out by the end of this year. All right. All right. All right. Well, I want to say thank you again for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, but then not just keeping it to yourself. Like you experience it. You're, you're a learner. You've always got your eyes open and you're ready for more, but then you put it together so that way others can benefit as well. So guys, check out Quantum Christianity. Check out Limitless. You can find Aaron at TattooPreacher.com, uh, TattooPreacher at Instagram, on all of the social media channels. And and check out his books because I, as you can feel and hear his passion, <laughs> even just through this hour together, that's what I felt go all through the book. And I can tell you, I, I it lit a fire within me. And, uh, and I know that it will do the same for you. So thank you, Aaron, so much for your time. And oh, I'm you. excited to check out Limitless as well. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening today. Head over to denisewalsh.com. Enter your email to subscribe to our list. And I'll be sending out an early bird special coupon. 50% off, in fact, of the Dream Life Workbook when it is launched in just a few months. So if you want to have first dibs, let's get your name on that list. Thanks again. I so appreciate you. And remember to dream big. 